Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Well, Douglas, we decided to jump in here and try to knock out a podcast preamble here before we head off to our first shows of the year. It's nice to see you on here. I know we're a little bit frantic getting work together. It's like, okay, we got a spare 15. Should we knock this out right now? And we're doing it right now. Yeah, here we exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like we're trying to make a baby. <laughs> I'm ovulating, Douglas. Get on the mic. <laughs> jump on that mic. All right, Douglas, you're... Um, you're kind of you're more of a communicator than me. I feel like I feel like you've got uh, like a stable of friends that you're constantly in in touch with. Is that true? I keep in touch. I try to. Yeah. Yeah. You've got uh, a fairly large group. I feel like I don't. Right. Oh. I mean, I kind of do and I kind of don't. I just see people at shows and then my wife and I like my my email list is pretty short and so is my wife's. Okay. And... Hey, where are we going with this, Will? <laughs> well, I just don't have an all awful lot of contact with people until. Until they find out that you're on a jury. Uh, <laughs> have you found that to be the case? I, I was on a jury this past weekend. I didn't have too many people uh, reaching out and wanting to buddy up with me. No, I haven't had that experience. Well, maybe it's just because you're not noticing. Because I, I feel like you're um you're kind of taking the torch of mayor of Art Town from like Michael McKee and Eric Lee. I feel there like you you're, I, I think you're ready to make a move and be Art Town mayor. And uh, maybe you're just used to all of the communication and, and I'm I'm not that used to it. So you start to see like I've got a very dear friend that's getting ready to be on another jury. OK. She's like, oh, that's that's interesting. Haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> <laughs> jury sluts. They're coming out of the woodwork just like a hi. Do you, do you remember hey. me? It's nice to hey. see you. Oh, yeah. That's, is that a new shirt? You're looking very handsome. Like, get out of here. That's, well, I did have an interesting happen. weekend this weekend. I was I was on the jury for Art in the Pearl, and there's a lot of experiences that I want to share about it. So we might mm. dedicate this entire first part of the the podcast to just talking about things because you know I we've talked about juries throughout the last three years on the show, and right. we've kind of had our stable of reactions at how you and I felt, but this changed a lot of those points of view for me. So yeah, a lot, a lot of great experiences this weekend. Okay, interesting. What um what changed? I mean, I in 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 previous jury experiences, I I feel like folks are ready for the good and they're ready for the bad going into mm -hmm. a jury, but okay. they're not ready for the sheer volume of like middle of the road, like like stuff that doesn't really move the needle left or right. It's just like, uh, I don't know what the what to do with this. I mean, I do. <laughs> I, I, we do know what to do with it. But um, yeah. how was your experience? I mean, you tell okay. me. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. Well, what was different for me was when I first got into the business of of doing these art fairs, I went to the projected juries. I went to a number of them to kind of get a feel of what I was up against, what the formatting was. And this jury that I did this weekend for Art in the Pearl was a monitor jury. And, okay. and I feel like from what I'm hearing out there, that there might be a lot more. The, the tables might skew or tip towards the monitor juring, hmm. which I think getting um, some feedback out to our listeners about what my take was on it might be helpful, might give people okay. choices. Yeah. You think as far as like helping folks um, with what they're showing as far as the their slides and stuff? Is that the presentation? I used to uh -huh. feel like that the order of the images presented in a collective across the room when it's projected yeah. 
had impact. And I would select my images on that kind of overall snapshot. Right. But when we're doing a remote jury and as artists, we have the ability to view our own applications just like how the jury is going to view it. Sure. On Zap, like you just preview as juror, right? Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what the juror is seeing when they do the remote jury. Okay. So there was a couple of nuances in that because when they were in a lineup, the images are so small and I'm using a a big monitor. I'm not using a laptop or whatever. I have a nice nice big screen that that, the layout of the images kind of loses its luster because you can't really see enough of the image to get an impact of the body of work. Interesting. So even on a big screen like that, you're you feel like you're like the way I feel about it a lot of times is like I'm looking at it through a pinhole camera. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you can't you're, you're trying to look something up on the phone and, and you're kind of like, I want to see the big picture of the map. I don't want to just see this like little little thing. But it's it's kind of like that with the, the jury. Huh? It is. So when you go through, they make it so that you can't skip ahead and just look at a block of the four images in a booth and move on. You're forced to individually take in each full-sized image on your screen, one after the other consecutively. You get one last kind of um, group shot, which, again, Mm -hmm. is small, and then you score. So it's really important when you're thinking of placement and order is thinking of the image sequentially. Like, what's the next one going to build on the one previous and the next one build on the previous? It might, it might just be a different way of approaching how you want to pick your images or how you want to put them together. That's, you know, I've always kind of assumed that it was like that, like that you'd be reading it like you, you, you're you flipping through a book almost. Mm-hmm. Like I want my, like me personally, I want my lead image kind of facing to the right, uh, mm. which leads you into the next one, uh, whereas the middle ones are kind of facing, you know, the composition is is more out and mm-hmm. the, the, the one on the end kind of faces you back into the uh, it's almost like you're composing. I am anyway. I don't mm-hmm. know if it makes any difference, but I, I, you know, that's what I do. I, I would say that the tension that you're talking about is important, and especially if we want to start putting our focus on: is this a projected jury or is this a computer monitor jury? We might want to make some different decisions on that. So that was my first take. My second thing was: remember years ago when Zap said you don't have to upload borders anymore? Yeah. Okay, so this particularly pertains to the landscape orientation of your images, and that is that if you upload the 1920 as your width and you don't do the borders, and I think, I think anyway, I want everyone to do this for themselves just to make sure, but if you want your landscape orientation to fill the whole screen and kind of like take over the the viewer's eyes you wouldn't want to do the border of the top and the bottom because it so fills. So don't do the border? Correct. When it's a remote viewing, that You're landscape... Losing... Right. It, it just yeah. shrinks it in. But there was something about when I would flip and I'd get a landscape orientation that was not done with the top and bottom borders. It filled the screen. And whether the work was great or not, it gave you more of a of a presence. I mean, it kind of right. like you sit back and you go, whoa, and it kind of your eyes get to take in more. Yeah, so that I'm was acting. something to consider. <laughs> right. I, I feel like um, I like I know that I actually know that I, it's, it's it goes against what 
some of the people online are, are, are saying look like some of these advisor groups that um, there's a there's a guy that does does that all the time. He he's a big proponent of like, you have to put your black borders on, you know, and yeah. it's like, well, OK, well, this is it's I knew that. So it's like I'm doing some bad acting. What? What? Whoa. Douglas, I can't believe it. That's <laughs> it's no. But yeah, it's interesting to see that. Right. It's a choice. And I think if you were going to have a projection jury, you'd want everything to be congruent. If it's like mm-hmm. these are the five images we're looking at all at once. And then these five images are going away where your yeah. eye can kind of like bounce back and forth between all the images. But if you're just going one image at a time, it's something you might want to consider. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Good advice there. Is there anything as far as um, like what what you saw uh, this past weekend and since this is fresh, like something things that work mm-hmm. and don't work that people are doing? Well, I'll tell you what doesn't work. There's some bad booth images. I mean, a booth image with a group of people standing in it, like, look, my booth is busy all the time. <laughs> but here's, does not here's the do thing, anything. though. When you're, when you're slogging <laughs> through the thing, it is important to have a shitty booth image so that you know who to just cut right away, right? Because it's if so that's much what you stuff want. to look through, right? <laughs> yeah. I, don't change your booth image. Leave okay. it up. Leave it, leave it bad. Uh, I, I'm for more bad booth shots so that we know who to hack through and just throw in the garbage. I mean, seriously, like I, I, all the stuff about like all of these coaching things and online about all this stuff with your booth image and it's, it's a, it's a hack detector, right? It's a, totally a hack detector. I mean, that's the one thing. Like, it's like to see the context of the work. You're right. You got yeah. the context and it's like, oh, well, the context is it's shit. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I do have a reaction to that because you'll look at the work and like I found myself rooting for some work that I hadn't seen before that was really well done. And then I got to the booth shot and I went, ah. And so we all asked, you know, because there was, well, I'll I'll backtrack here. The way this jury is set up is there's no talking amongst us. Like we can't, I can't say, I really like exhibitor A. Right. I hate exhibitor B. This is my podcast co-host. Can we uh, give him a flyer? (laughs) This guy rocks. (laughs) But, um, so the only time we were really encouraged to 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 speak is to ask questions for clarifications or whatever. And the question came up was how do we how do they want us to rate the booth shot? And they said they primarily want us to rate it on the work because if based on the score that gets in, if they feel like the booth shot needs work, this particular show is going to reach out and advocate on behalf of the artist to up their game or talk to them about ways that they could be better. So I think that helps kind of an emerging crowd step into the market. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, I kid with, with that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent for uh, emerging artist programs and, and helping people up their game. But I do think that, you know, the booth shot sometimes is like, you know, that's the context, right? It is. Well, sometimes the context is that I don't like it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I had stuff I liked better when I saw the booth shot. And the reverse. I had stuff that I liked less once I saw the booth shot. For sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, what else did you uh, did you learn this past weekend? Anything else that popped out? I really like the way that they that they do this jury because there are some juries where really the the jurors it's their job to pick the show through collaboration and discussion and they'll like they'll get to the end and they'll be like, well, we only want to allow in ten class artists, but we've got like. 20 to choose from that we've narrowed down mm-hmm. who gets the spots and who's on the wait list. We didn't get any of that. We were totally individual scorekeepers. 
And I have no idea who's in the show that I just juried. I know who I would have picked. And the feedback from other jurors was they felt like that kind of talking that they've experienced on other juries is just counterproductive. It can be contentious. It can, you know, who really cares if I like something and the other juror doesn't? You know, well, I do. I think that's I kind of the other way. I kind of prefer the other uh, set of juring so that you can be like, hey, how many of this do we have? This person looks a little bit like this. So maybe we cut that. Who do we want over this one or this one? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That that seems to be an interesting way to to compose a show or to curate a show, if that makes sense, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody, it's kind of like, you know, I prefer four day weekends. You prefer two. Who said that? Maybe not just you, but you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean. No, just like, like some people, yeah, right. For example, some yeah. people, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I like to set up shop. I like to go and have a have a talk. And sometimes somebody knows more about like if there's a jeweler on the jury, for example, mm-hmm. they can explain to me what I'm seeing. I mean, I'm more educated than most uh, because I live with jewelry. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as like, if you don't know what you're looking at, me like, hey, this actually, this this simple clean bezel is harder to 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 set a stone in and have it clean than, you know, this over here that has more more bells and whistles on it and more, you know, the filigree and all this other stuff is is like, okay, that's hand done. That's hand carved. This is machine done. Like, I can recognize it. If you don't know what you're looking at, sometimes it helps to say, hey, what is this guy doing? Is if um, I mean, it's very clear. Some Some artwork comes through the jury and you're like, I like that. That's mm-hmm. good. What is it? It's pencil. Holy shit. I want that in my show. Sure. You know, uh, yeah. versus something else where I'm like, I, what am I, what is this that I'm seeing? So sometimes it helps to have somebody in the jury room that can talk you through it. So, well, uh, we did have that and we did that through the jewelry a lot. Believe me, okay. we had a jeweler on the jury and it'd be like, what am I looking at here? What are the, you know, are these components they made or are these components that they sourced and built or right? that was definitely allowed. But what wasn't allowed was. I couldn't pick out an exhibitor and say, I love this work. Everybody score them great. You know what I mean? Uh, that, uh-huh. that stuff was was kept at bay. Got it. So, um, yeah, but I think part of it is too, you know, it's a Pearl is a show that is run by artists. And there are shows out there that are run by artists that kind of, you know, come from our point of view. They, they know For what's sure. important to yeah, us. Absolutely. So you know like what we've been talking about with Rick Rubin, how yeah. we train ourselves to he talks about how he gets these gut reactions from work from music for example, that's his industry. Right. I started to feel that way as we got rolling with the juring is you could settle into that that gut reaction. Uh-huh. And the thing about the monitor jury that I thought was nice is that when it is all projected at once and you have all images at once, you are sitting there waiting for like quickly. You're almost like panicking. Like, when are they going to take all those images away? I've got to soak it all in. But when you are the juror on a remote jury, you're in control of when you've seen enough and when you can move on. And you can really settle into that flow of see it, react, move on, see it, react, move on to all of the images so you can get kind of an overall. And it was a very interesting process to kind of trust that that gut reaction and to know where it was taken, you know, to know where where it was taking me. You're taking me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> OK, fine. Boring. All right. I've heard enough about all You've this. Heard enough I was a juror on Portland's 
Amazing. I had the pearl. But yeah, no, that was that was good. I like oh. shows. I like juries. Sorry, I don't have anything else to add. Just leaving yes. here. I'm supposed to say I'm supposed to say yes to uh to to whatever. Hey, speaking of saying yes, we had the most random, like the lamest random celebrity sighting on our plane back from serious <laughs> from Baltimore. Ooh. It's like I kind of just like I kind of heard this voice, and I'm like, I think I know. Like it, it's a. It's a, I don't even know what network it's on. My my wife puts it on sometimes, but say yes to the dress. Oh, what a, yeah, is that like one of those Bravo show? or whatever shows? Yeah, it's like a Bravo show. Yeah, and it's right. like this guy who is uh, like, he's very kind and he brings these uh, these gals onto the, the show and they they have a big fight about what wedding dress they like and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And he's, he's, you know, whatever. But the, the only reason I recognized it is because the, flight attendant was being such an a-hole about really? his uh, dog like that has to find out like like look i fly six times a week like i it, it always sits right here with the you know it's fine and she's showing him the rule book she had to be right it was one of these people that had to be mm. you know was like rule stickler to the degree so yep. that's the only reason and and somebody ugh, was just bitching and complaining <laughs> but um, i was we were laughing i'm like that is that's got to be the lamest celebrity sighting of all time like i can't imagine like, right pulling back the curtain yeah. on that one <laughs> say yes to the dress holy shit <laughs> so this week you actually have one of my art show heroes that i'm as excited to hear the talk as anybody else haven't heard a rough cut nothing you've been you've been cagey about this one douglas i haven't even <laughs> been had a chance to work on it yet for right now. It's <laughs> right. so crazy getting I'm ready sure. for for this show you're, you're gonna be at bayou and be like i've got to go back to the hotel to get the podcast man. <laughs> So anyway, maybe it'll be a day or two late. You never know. But yeah, uh, it'll, this it's one... probably for sure going to be going out at the end of the week. But by the time they hear this, the, then they'll know when it came out. Yeah, it's, it's now. It's it comes now. out right it's now. Out now. It's, it's live. It's right now. Uh, but uh, Kirsten Stingle, an amazing creative person. And I love her vision and uh, kind of unflappable direction that she's gone in with her work for her entire career and just a lovely human as well. So thank you, uh, first of all, from all of us, really, for, for sitting down and, and talking with her and, and getting this uh, this view on the air. Here she is, Kirsten Stingle from Atlanta, Georgia. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. So, Will, it's that time of year again when we all need to start getting stuff ready for taxes. Ugh. Thanks for that, Douglas. I appreciate that. We all do, quite literally. I did get an email recently from Zap. Uh, They were talking about uh, doing line items and keeping everything together in one place. Yeah, that's right. I tried it out for myself. So when I was logged into Zap, I went to my profile... And one of the options further down the page is to download your transaction history. Amazing. That's after you've proven to them that you're not a robot by uh, (laughs) correctly identify the tractor (laughs) before you play that lovely game. So once you've identified that you're an actual human, it's super easy just to select your date range and then it will create a report of all your purchases so you can hand off those booth fees and application fees directly to your accountant. Kirsten Stingle, welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast. I'm so glad to meet you. This is the first time we've ever met. Yes, thank you. I'm really happy to be on here and talking to you. You are part of a gallery that my friend Steve Cox is a part of. So I kind of saw your social overlapping with his social and I'm like, 
you know what? And looked into your work. I was like, you seem like somebody I'd really like to get to know and talk oh, to. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> Glad you could carve out some time today. Absolutely. I have to say, though, I am a little disappointed about something. Oh. I was expecting you to show up with your big pink <laughs> wig. I thought this was going to be like, what's going on here? I, I don't I, I don't get the wig. What's up with that? <laughs> that's that's my show persona so i um yeah actually somebody suggested you should wear the wig and i'm like that you know then it gets into a thing of you know is she wearing it while she vacuums what's going on so is this is this in your everyday life <laughs> and anyone who wants to know what we're talking about could clearly go to your instagram and see you know part of your your profile pic and you at shows you have this beautiful fun character that you kind of take on, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Big fluffy cotton candy wig. Yeah. <laughs> I always say at the at the shows, I'm living in my character's world. So yeah. Oh. Yeah. So is it a kind of an extension of the work that you're making too? Yeah. So yeah. You know, I sort of stumbled upon doing that because it was funny. I was showing with OK Spark at Sofa and it was Halloween. Okay. And I had purchased the wig with the intent of like, you know, maybe wearing it at some point. And so I thought, well, I'll just, it's Halloween and it's the opening. I might as well just wear it. Right. And so <laughs> it was a great success. I mean, because all of a sudden it it was, it sort of like broke the ice with people. And so okay, people were yeah. coming up to me and just, you know, chatting or wanting a picture and or anything. And, and so it became a way for me to be sort of comfortable in myself without feeling like I'm on stage trying to like, let me explain my work to you. Let me tell you about my work. It's, it was just sure. felt like much more natural um, or I could be much more natural in it. So yeah, after that, uh -huh. I was just like, let's just keep wearing it because it's sort of fun. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of roll with it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because it, it it really does sort of link, like if someone's like, oh, do you know Kirsten's work? And they're like, I don't know. Am I, you know, the woman with the pink wig? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know her work. So it it, 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 <laughs> it sort of bookmarks me a little bit. <laughs> it's your branding thing, right? <laughs> right. Well, what I do know about you is that you have a theater background. So, I mean, does part of it come in? To that, the theatricality I think of it? Definitely, it does. I mean, you can see that theatricality in my work. I was mm -hmm. always afraid to get on stage when I was in theater. So I did back of the house stuff. But this is, I okay. guess, my chance to sort of spread my wings a little bit. So, yeah. For those people all listening to the podcast, Keeping Score, we can add another list to the tally of the, the former theater people <laughs> turned visual artists. Yes. <laughs> It's really not surprising because, you know, the I think yeah. we're all just trying to figure things out and tell our stories. And and so having that theater background, you're trying to tell stories and trying to get across themes. And it's a little bit easier. It's less collaborative nuances when you're an individual artist, mm -hmm. if that makes gotcha. any sense. Yeah, it it's like all of these people are working on an aesthetic. It's such a communal thing. Yes. And it's like we all are working together to kind of tell that same story. So there is that communal collaborative aspect in that respect. I mean, it, so. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there, there is that sort of um, family 
feeling, especially with, you know, in, mm. in, in art shows and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about what you do, what you make as an artist and kind of your voice in that. So tell me about your work and, and you. Okay. Yeah. I consider myself a narrative sculptor. All the figures are in hand-built porcelain. I don't use any molds. They have ceramic finishes. And then after they come out of several times in the kiln, I then build up layers and layers of mixed media and found objects to sort of tell the narrative. What I'm trying Mm. to do with my work is I want the viewer to get lost in it and sort of explore it. And I think in some ways it's like the worst thing to try to accomplish as a sculptor because Really, you, it's so much easier. Like if you're in a theater, you know, the, you, they dim the lights, you get lost on what's on stage and you enter part of the story, mm-hmm. right? And even looking at a painting, that that border around it, you sort of get, it, it sort of focuses mm. your mind and your imagination. And I think with mm. sculpture in a lot of ways, what you've done is complete opposite. It, I mean, it sits on a pedestal, so it's sort of alienated from the viewer. And and I understand the reason for that. It's because it's, you know, it makes it more special. It highlights the object. But what I'm trying to do is highlight the story. So mm-hmm. that that bit of alienation, that isolation between the pedestal and the and the person is really a stumbling block. So what I've tried to do is just layer and layer and layer little details and mixed media just so the person can start to get drawn in and get lost in it through all the details. And the story sort of unfolds that way. Okay. So let's say there's an element of gesture, maybe an object your figure is holding or expression, that those can all be means to tell the greater story. Oh, absolutely. Is that what you're describing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for gesture and expression, I spend a lot of time on those aspects because they really are. I mean, that's something that theater teaches you. It's the powerhouse of the story. Right. So I spend a Uh lot of time on that. But I in my mixed media work, I I eco dye fabric and then I make uh, hand stitched flowers and forms from it and then beat it and then, you know, maybe rust it. And so there's just it's just level after level of layers. If if I have a flower on something, I don't want you to say, oh, like, I think I saw those flowers at Joann's and they were on sale for, you know, 50% off mm-hmm. because it takes you then out of the story. You're all of a sudden in current, right. your, your, your contemporary society. So I want you to, I want you to stay lost in there and I want everything to feel very much like it's that world. Right. Yeah. So the, the details are not only an OCD issue, but it's also just because I really want to hook the viewer in. And so they they stay engaged with the piece. This reminds me of a conversation that we just had. The episode will come out before yours with uh, Joachim Neal. And he talks about how he gets an idea and then he feels like a slave to that concept. Like every little detail, he has to go down the road of specificity mm. and every element is to be considered. And it sounds to me like you're kind of just describing that. You want everything to kind of go deeper and not a step away from the overall yeah. concept or the overall exactly. story. Yeah. Well, you know, and that is also very theatrical in the sense of the the suspension of disbelief, you know, that that is right. in theater. 
Right. So every little aspect of what we're doing is taking us further into the story and and removing the things that will detract. Right. Exactly. And and just spinning off of this. In fact, with my work, I'm also trying to collaborate with other mediums to also push my work. And so it's less of an object and more of a strong narrative device. So like I've, I've even partnered with a, um, a actress from Rome. Oh. It, it, was a, it was a piece that involved film. It involved her monologues and a stage piece. And then my pieces also supported and were part of the story in that. And so I'm always mm. looking for ways to sort of push that. I mean, another way is I've worked with several photographers and we take my pieces and put them in natural settings. A lot of times I try to put them in like abandoned settings. And so all of a sudden it takes that narrative where if you usually you would have like a black background in a picture. And so you're highlighting again, the object, but this all of a sudden with an environment around it, it, it sort of narratively explodes. And I think really brings out mm. what I'm trying to express in my work. Cool. So it almost becomes like installation work in a way, because the environment yes. then also feeds yes. into the narrative. Yes. So I, I'm wondering if when you started down the road of being an artist, did you kind of identify with a particular medium, but then as you find your voice and find your direction as a sculptor, is it like basically any medium is it's a tool in your box to try and implement into your story? Did you start as a ceramic artist or have you always come at for, to it from a sculptural point of view? Well, I mean, when I was little, I had, a, you know, we called it the craft room and I had a little craft table and and I would go through all my dad's miscellaneous stuff. He he was the product of farming community and you never throw anything away in a farming community. So I always oh, had right, bits yes. and bobs <laughs> and I would remake things. So that whole sort of like looking at objects and sort of thinking of them in a new way sort of was imprinted early. But then I, and then I had the theater background and then I really don't have any formal training in visual art. I was working in something completely different. And when I decided to switch over, I just started taking, I was like, I'm just going to start taking community classes. So the first one was in ceramics. And, you know, I, I think so much of our path is based on the kindness of people and the encouragement they give you. And, and she was just really lovely. And, and, you know, if she hadn't, her name is Monica Litvini. And if she hadn't been, you know, saying, come on, take another class. It's really good. You, you have a, you have a touch with this, even though you're looking at this blob and you know, it's, it's nothing where you want it to be. And so I just kept taking classes and I gravitated towards the figure, the more I worked with clay, because that's just, that's a narrative tool that that I just feel very comfortable with, especially with the theater background and yeah. everything else. Cool. Yeah. So that evolution started with kind of learning about the materials and satisfying a creative curiosity, and then things yes. kind of yeah kind of just kept, honed yeah in. they kept snowballing, and so it, it, and it's it's through the course of being an artist how I've try to incorporate more and more of the mixed media and and different types of things. Again, I feel like I'm a little bit at a disadvantage because I don't have the formal training in visual arts in terms of just the exposure 
where in if you have a, a, a you know a BFA in visual arts, you you will you will have taken a whole bunch of things, mono printing and all these you know d- just different different courses. And I don't have that, so I have to seek it out. It, but I'm really hungry for it. So that's how all of this. It's sort of I look to incorporate new things to learn about new things and also to take my work into a different level. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I I do feel like there is a benefit to what you're describing also because you're not burdened by the direction of let's say a BFA or something. You know what I mean? That it's like it's like well you have to do it this way. Some people feel like that or they feel about themselves as if that is something that is like a setback. I don't think it is. I actually don't think it is. Yeah, I I I I I felt that sort of behind the eight ball, you know, sort of behind on everything a little bit. I think I've been able to work outside the normal path in a way that Mm -hmm. I'm able to achieve and search out things that interest me and that I want to do in my work. That's cool. That's awesome. So one of the things I read about your approach towards your work from your artist statement is you like to delve into topics around the topic of the modern paradox. So Mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Oh, right. Okay. So basically what's sort of driven my work, and again, I've said this before, um, is storytelling because I feel like stories are, they're sort of the ground zero in terms of how we can learn and communicate with one another. They're so powerful. And right now, our ability to communicate while there are so many ways like having this wonderful discussion here you know we're not in the same mm-hmm. place and 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 th- now it's going to be shared with other people and that's like a, a, an amazing thing technology has also really heightened our impulse to just respond rather than to think or have a discussion about things or to to question and be curious about things. I think it's much more knee-jerk in a way. I think a lot of, of the connection in, in that way is not helpful. It's not in, important. And mm-hmm. so here we are connected in so many ways, yet we're all feeling a little bit disconnected. And I can just speak on sort of my journey is in it seems like in the past 10 years, it feels like things have gotten sort of out of control in terms of how polarized we are and how little we we just talk to one another and, and share things with one another. And so that's what I'm dealing with in my work is I want to create a dialogue with the viewer. I want the viewer to be able to come and see, to engage in a story. And and a lot of times I'm I'm happy if they go, oh my gosh, that that's sort of scary. I'm like, okay, that's not how I meant it, but okay, you know, let's let's talk about it. Like no judgment on the reaction of what you're getting, just to have that that give and take. You know, Uh, Something I've learned over the years is that forming a connection with somebody is really about sharing vulnerability, sharing sharing personal stories in a safe space. And so that kind of comes up to me with what you're describing is you're making your art as a way to connect with people or the story to connect with people to say, 
it, it might land with someone and they say, I, I experienced this. Yeah. Or it doesn't land and they don't experience it, right. but it's still that that's the intent behind it. It's definitely about connecting with with other people. I, I, I feel like when I started as an artist, it was because of 9-11 sort of made me switch everything because I was in New York City working at that time, it was an overwhelming feeling of disconnection and that, you know, what oh, are we wow. doing? Why, why, why does everything seem like it's splitting apart? And so oh. when I went back to work, they had right after 9-11, all of the flyers for the people that were missing, right? And describing oh, who they were. Right. And a lot of them were, you know, he, he's a father of three and he does this and he like, you know, there were, there were snapshots, there were stories of these, these human beings and they were all over every kind of bus stop and right. every kind of subway stop and everything. And, and I remember spending a lot of time reading them at a certain point, the city decided, okay, we need to get rid of these. We need to move on. And so it was just, oh. they, they, one like morning we're done with that we're, we're done. done with we're done with yeah okay so one morning they were just all gone oh my God. and i understand a reasoning of we need to move on as a as a society or as a community but at the same time it just felt like you know those voices were were gone and were just wiped out mm. again so let me let me see if i understand you so it was it wasn't just like these flyers weren't just saying this person is missing this was a tribute to say this person has has passed in this and and wanting to and wanting to have people notice or pay attention. Yeah, it, that, it, that... It remember it, when 9-11 first happened, a lot of people didn't know where everybody was. They didn't realize right, that like they could be buried in the rubble or something. They didn't realize know if they got out. So these were stories of of these individuals saying, look, this is my husband. He he is this, this and this. He does this. It was like a little bit of a story to get you, you know, oh, this is a real person. It wasn't just like a picture. It, it, all of them had a little bit of a description rather than just like height and weight and that kind of thing. Yeah. When they, I, I guess, decided that, OK, most of these people that are missing have passed. They're they're not going mm. to be found. That's when they decided to get rid of it all. And And again, it was just sort of that like experiencing that loss and then experiencing it in sort of like a reverberation, like a, you know, like a, a an earthquake after yeah, the big one. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And I, yeah. that's, that's when I quit my job and I thought I, I need to start like figuring out how I can express myself in, in a creative way. And, and so that's where, that's how it all began in terms of ceramics and, and my work now. Okay. So before 9-11, you were doing the traditional job kind of thing yeah, is what you're saying yeah. and then you then you were like I that was kind of the impetus to move into this new life right exactly yeah yeah wow that's impactful I mean and and was it that you wanted to just like grab the meaning out of life I mean what did it kind of feel like it's like we're here for such a short time and like the mortality of it all, it's like, this is something I really want to do. Yeah. And I had known I really wanted to be more creative. I was in a job that it was not creative at all. And it, it was an important job, but I was not satisfied. And it became more and more apparent that I was not going to find happiness in it. And but it was it was yeah. 9-11 that sort of made me think I can't continue. This is Yeah. And so, and luckily, you know, my husband was like, yeah, try it, do it, 
yeah, he, he mm-hmm. saw how miserable I was. And, and, it, and it just, it was one of those sort of things. Again, it's like all of a sudden you, you try to, you, you listen to your inner voice or something and, and sometimes things just click and work out. And it did at that time. Did you start in with, with the whole focus of sculpture from, from the get go or kind of what was the start of what you were making? Um, the first class I ever took was a tile class. <laughs> tile, okay. <laughs> Again, the teacher just was like, take another one. Come on, come on. But And, and then I started making pinch pot. I don't know if, if y'all are familiar with pinch pots, but you take like a ball of clay and then you stick your thumb in it and you just press around the okay. sides. It's very meditative and you get make the clay walls thinner and thinner and thinner. We had like... I don't know, 15 different types of clay in the studio. We were really lucky. So I just spent a long time, probably a year, just pinching different clays and getting to know their boundaries and how far I could push them. And I don't know, just having that that quiet time. I can't, I can't say that, you know, I went right into sculpting. It was more like, okay, let's Let's just explore the material a little bit, which which is now looking back on it, I'm like thinking, God, that was actually a really lovely pause to be able to do that because so so often mm-hmm. now it's sort of this there's the, that tension between exploring something and having to produce something, and at that yeah. point there wasn't anything like that. Yeah, we have that that um, that voice in our head saying. You have two days to work this out <laughs> right. because you've got a show in a month or whatever your yeah. end is, right? right? But back then, it was just like, I wonder what happens if I just spend the entire day pinching this material yeah. and feeling good about it and seeing where it goes right. and exploring it. Yeah. Yeah, those days do seem pretty far away, don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> but, you know, that's like, it's, sort of, it's sort of a nice reminder. I'm just thinking now, like, maybe I need to start to reweave that back into my studio practice a little mm-hmm. bit, like allowing myself, you know, a few hours to just like play with the material and not really worry about the outcome. I'm so like sort of type A, though. So that's really like a lifelong lesson journey for me. <laughs> So. Okay, so you have to schedule in the playtime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, that's how type A's can do that and be creative. Exactly. <laughs> I have known a glass blower before who said that there's a certain month. I can't remember the details, but let's say he picked the month of March or whatever every single year as his innovation time. Oh. Where I'm not making work to sell. I'm not making work for a show. I'm just innovating and playing. And who does that anymore? That's right. I think that was a brilliant thing. Really I mean, lovely. I thought I should do that. Yeah. And now it's gone five years and I haven't done <laughs> that. So I'm going to have to take that advice. <laughs> I think that's lovely. Yeah. And especially something like that, because that's a whole month of you to just breathe. And, and uh-huh. you know, where if it's it's something shorter, there is there is still that time component to it. That, okay, I only have a couple more hours. <laughs> to play with this. But a month, you just can, you know, you give yourself that permission. It's lovely. And and, and to not say, when I get done with that month, I'm going to have a series realized. Right. It really is just going into it with to yeah. see what comes up. Yeah. Yeah. With a, with a, with a medium like, I think, you know, with, with sculpting clay or manipulating glass, it is like 
I think that that there needs to be that that period. I guess now that I say that, I'm sure there's a, all these other mediums who are like, well, that fits for me too. <laughs> right. But yeah, all of us, it it really just just to, without any preconceived outcomes, just to just to see what happens, yeah, just to see what comes out of it. Yeah, I think that's something almost like a human level. People need to. We don't allow ourselves to do that yeah. in society. I think it's like you know that that whole capitalist structure of like go 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 and oh. always have to be you know achieving and stuff. It's not really ingrained in us to to allow ourselves to just breathe and play. Yeah. I mean, how many of us have parents? And I'm not saying your parents are like this and my parents weren't like this, but there are a lot of us as we're growing up, like, well, what are you going to do with that yeah. field? Are you going to be an artist? How are you going to make a living out of that? How You know, there has to be like this productive end game. Yeah. And as kids, we are just so open-ended about, I'm doing it because I like it. Right. It's that simple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> and I've actually noticed in my my young adult children, I have a, a daughter and a son who are in their young 20s, that as they were getting towards middle school and the the, the guidance counselors and the teachers, they were really pushing them towards careers pretty early. And yes. I saw the pressure in them. Like, I have to know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life at nine, 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's a lot. I'm even telling I the them same now. Thing with my kids. Yeah. I'm telling them now. It's like, you won't know that something brings you, like, it's like this new aha until you've experienced it. And you're like, mm-hmm. I want to chase that. You know, yeah. you can't anticipate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I, I was just talking to my my um, youngest son uh, is uh, 19 and he's going into international politics and um, he has a minor oh, in wow. music. He's like, you know, I always thought I'd want to take I would be interested in doing forestry. I'm like, take a class, take a class or two in forestry, see where it goes. You, This is the time to do it, man. This is the time to like, yeah. it, it gets harder and harder to, to switch modes. Mm. I mean, look at me, I didn't have <laughs> this background and, and here I am as an artist, but like, if you can, you shouldn't feel pinned in by it, by any, anything. And they do that really young. Yeah, yeah they do. Uh, so once you kind of got going with it and started to find your voice, what kind of a marketplace or venues did you start to sell your work? Um, I started in the community classes, you know, they'd have the sales, you know, the like mm-hmm. holiday sales and stuff like that. And then I started doing art shows at the Four Bridges art show in Chattanooga. I don't know if you are familiar with that. They have, I think they still have it. I don't know. Um I've heard of it. Yeah. They had a wonderful program for emerging artists. So they would provide you with the booth. They would bring other longtime show artists in and you would have like, you could have like a one, you know, it was sort of like a, a a powwow session. And so you could ask questions and, Mm -hmm. and get feedback from them on your work or like your sales or, or something like that. And they gave you business cards. I mean, it was just really nice. So it, that nice. sort of just that being in that program for that sh- that one year that show just really sort of allowed me to lift off a little bit into art shows. Well, to all the art shows out there who listen to this, if they wonder if that is a good program to do or if it's worthwhile, I mean, you're living proof right there that yeah. you know what I mean. You got the benefit from from that, 
and that was the the launching pad for then you turning the work that you're learning about and that you're developing your voice for, then also then translating that into how do I get this in collectors' hands? How right. do I sell this yeah. work and yeah. all this stuff? So that that was a kind of the next step for you. Yeah, I mean that's awesome. Yeah, it was re- it was really great, and especially co- because they've co- they connected you with so many, you know, people that are professionals in the art shows, and so you've really felt like you were starting out with a community, and you were mm. like, you know, just the resources. Solo. Is- yeah. The resources, yeah, were like the yeah, that it's more than just saying, okay, well, you've juried into the emerging section, and here's your spot, right? And figure it out, yeah. That that next step of kind of like handholding to, you know, having a successful return, because honestly, a lot of people their first time at an event will go, and they will maybe feel a little defeated mm-hmm. because they maybe didn't sell what they wanted right. to sell, right. But those building blocks are so needed. They are. They are. And I'm still in touch with a lot of the people that that I met. John Petrie was, he's a, a metal sculptor, and he was one of the people mm. that was like the, one of the mentors. And yeah, it was just great. He was That's really helpful. Cool. So then you're not doing outdoor festivals now, but that was kind of what was the marketplace for you for a while anyway? Is yeah, that that's where I felt, it, I guess it was easier for me to approach like galleries, that's a whole nother learning curve. You got to get, you know, yeah. and so, it, it, but art, art shows allowed me to present my work to an audience and get feedback and hopefully make sales and, 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 and like we've have t- that access. Yeah. And, and like, you know, there is that s- sense of community and family in those shows, which is so lovely too. The, the community of other artists. Mm-hmm. Or com- yeah, yeah. I guess communities of collectors, yeah. but yeah, the community of mm-hmm. artists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a learning and a support system mm-hmm. that comes out of that community as well. And you were hungry for that. Yes. And then, yes, so I know, absolutely. like I just mentioned, you're not doing those types of shows anymore. Were there struggles? Were there? Were you kind of butting up against things that didn't really fit for you? I think that's a great way to put it. I think we're all trying to figure out how we can do what we want to do in a way that makes, in, in ways that allow us to continue <laughs> Yeah. And for the outdoor show market for me, because I'm dealing with porcelain and little tiny fingers, Mm. it was super, super stressful (laughs) because anytime there was Mm. a rain, rainstorm or a windstorm. And of course, you know, I probably have to apologize to everybody in the art show. It's like, oh, Kirsten's coming. There's going to be a huge hurricane. Okay. So um, (laughs) so you were cursed. (laughs) Yeah. You brought the weather. <laughs> so after a while, just I felt like it. Um, just that that kind of thing. It was really hard, and I, at the same time, I had two small kids, and so going mm. away for a week or so uh, all the time was it just it it just got really hard. And and there was one other element of it. I felt like it might my work might not always be a a great fit with some of the audience at mm-hmm. those shows. I think that there there's a lot of people that are afraid of figurative work yeah. <laughs> just because it's yeah. like a phobia mm-hmm. or something. They don't like figures. And, you know, and so there was a lot of sort of uh, not understanding or not wanting to engage. It, like I said, if, if somebody thinks something scary, I'm just like, oh, that's that's interesting. Let's talk about it. But uh-huh. not wanting to engage, you can't even engage with them. I thought this 
it just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And I, I remember I was at a show, the Milwaukee show, the Milwaukee Museum show. I forget what mm, Lakefront, no, Lakefront Festival. Is it Lakefront? Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful, beautiful there. But I had broken a few pieces and I was just like, you know, you, you hit those, those points where you're like, this is just ridiculous. And I was uh, across from Robert and Leslie and they were so lovely. And all the pieces that, you know, it felt like to me at that point, all the pieces that people were like, ooh, what is that? Um, they were like, oh my God, that's really great. You should do more of that. You should do more of that. And so it was really mm. like one of those things where I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. So if I want to move my work and maybe this isn't the the right fit for it, at least right now, how can I pivot to allow me to continue to do the work I want to do? So it's, and again, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where never say like, oh, it'll never be a, a good fit. But at that point, it just, whatever reason, it what just was not clicking the way I wanted it to. It's really hard to be feeling that you're like a, a square peg in a round hole and not taking that on as like, well, what's wrong with, with me? Yeah. Like, I see ex- I see exhibitor X over here and they're like selling hand over fist. Yes. And so what do what do you I do? Do I change what I make? Do I change where I go? And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are struggling with that right now. Yeah. We're all sort of on this this journey to find exactly what what works for the work that we want to do, right? And some people have yeah. find it find it and that's great. And and other I feel like I'm always like Okay, well, these are the established paths. What if I take this little deer path over here that leads to another one? <laughs> Will that allow me to get where I want to go? <laughs> so, yeah. And you know what? The only way to know is to actually go down that path and find out right. how it works. Yeah, absolutely. It's and true. So what were what were some of the things that you tried out? What was that little deer path? path that you took initially to kind of like find a different way for yourself? Well, I started doing indoor fine craft shows. So and they seem to be decreasing. I don't know since COVID. Kind of like the same model. Is it like the same model as the outdoor shows, but say like the the Betsy QB shows that exactly, used to be around. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so I started doing the, or ACCs those. Yeah, the ACC. Or those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And and that okay. that seemed like a, a a little better fit for me. To, like getting closer. Yeah. Getting exactly, warmer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My feeling with some of those shows were just the energy, the enthusiasm levels. It was hard to feel that buzz that you sometimes feel out out on the road, you know what I mean? Out on the outdoor shows, the, that the inner indoor uh, craft market, which I I've did the, like the Washington craft and uh-huh. Palm Beach craft and all of those too. It just, it just felt a little stuffy and a little, yeah, it is, it whatever. is a different environment, right? It is a little sedate. Yeah. And they're playing like, yeah, like really weird jazzy, you know, guitar music over the speakers and yeah, it felt a little bit more sterile than the outdoor there is something lovely about outdoor shows that that have a little bit. It's a little grittier and it's a little more real, and and that Coachable, is yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you were saying, and I'm noticing too, some of those venues, the indoor shows, 
from the retail aspect seem to have kind of lost their footing, right? I mean, yeah, right. So a lot of those those fell off, and I started with OK Spark, mm. I guess in. 2014. And they're a gallery. And okay, Spark a gallery. is a gallery. Okay, Spark is a gallery. Yes, it's owned by Matthew Fine, who is a glass cast glass artist, and so mm-hmm. he he, and he was one of us out here on the street yeah, too. He was yes. one, of, one out yeah. there years ago. Absolutely, and he has such a sort of entrepreneurial spirit, and was, mm. and we had all been friends, so he just started looking at again like the deer path, looking at where we want to go or what we might want to try, and then figuring out a way we could all do that together. So he had a brick and mortar building. So he started to apply as OK Spark, his his gallery, to these bigger shows like Sofa. And they're, I, mm-hmm. I call them gallery shows because they're really, they're mm-hmm. just, you don't have individual artist booths there. But the interesting sure. thing about his model was not only that, all the artists were sort of, it was sort of like a a family. We are all like uh, Mm -hmm. equally responsible for aspects of of it. And we're really close knit. We were really intertwined together. And so it was less like somebody just saying, okay, well, you get this wall and there you are. Um, It was more. So it's his gallery, Mm -hmm. but yet there is collaboration that that works between all of the the participants. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so and one thing that he felt and we all feel especially coming from, you know, the the um outdoor show environment, it's 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 critical for artists to be there to discuss their work and to share what their vision mm-hmm. is. I mean, it's once you talk to a person and they get to know you that they're like, "Oh, I want to invite this piece of work into my home. I liked it first and now oh. I really want, you know." Yeah, and, there's definitely and, that that becomes more attractive mm-hmm. than speaking to a gallery owner or a gallery employee representing a handful of the works that they're bringing to this event. Exactly. Exactly. It was a little bit of a different approach and one that we felt more comfortable with working with the clients that came in. You know, sometimes those gallery booths can be a little, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, can be very sort of sterile and, and they don't have like they don't they don't know all the processes as an artist would about their their work mm-hmm. and um the work that that they mm-hmm. represent and so it was a nice opportunity to be able to you know it was sort of a breath of fresh air from the typical model to then have artists there and we all equally talk about each other's work and we're all there as a okay. as a family yeah i love that aspect cuz i've always felt like my artist friends can talk about it better like they you can't oh, say, yeah. isn't this a beautiful piece I made? <laughs> it just sounds it's so off-putting. <laughs> true. This one rocks, doesn't it? You know, but I can say that about Matt. This piece, really, yeah. you know, it's stunning. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally cool. I love that. It sounds like Matt is comfortable giving everybody a voice Absolutely. and giving everybody a say yeah. in, in how you guys do it. Yes. It's definitely very team oriented. And in that way, again, it goes back to that. What's so nice about like art show is there that sense of community with with each other. And and here, 
it's just on a smaller level, but it it still has that same sense of community. And if I'm going to be out mm-hmm. selling my work, and and to, to be quite honest, I sort of sometimes hate it. I hate the the commodification of my artwork because yeah. I can feel so great about it, and then you go to a show and it's not selling, and then you have those things playing in your head that like, oh, it's not as good, or blah 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 blah. blah. And trying to like yeah. separate all of that out and to just focus on the fact that I'm telling stories and then engaging in that way, that family group really is a soft place to land. Yeah. You're not out there all on, on your own. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you've got a buddy, you've got uh, a network. Yeah. I'm sure, th- I'm sure you guys maybe give the real, I mean, it might not be as a, as a criticism, but maybe as a, have you thought about this or oh, have you sure. thought about that? Absolutely. And that helps push it. Absolutely. In a good way or whatever. Yeah. So it is a it sounds like a really wonderful, nurturing kind of environment. It it is. I'm really so blessed to be a part of it. It's it's a great, it's a great group. Really is. Yeah. That that format isn't probably right for everyone. I mean, I know a lot of people who are like, well, that's why I don't want to work in a job because I don't want to, <laughs> I just want to do what I want to do. And yeah. I don't want to have to be told, you know, or interact with other people's impressing upon me or my outcome right, or whatever. Right. I hear a lot of artists who say that that them alone in their studio is the perfect fit for them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think another thing that's interesting about what you guys are doing is it kind of redefines like who gets to have access to the art buyer. You know, these gallery owners, they take on the risk of, you know, the high expense of producing or being involved in a show like that. And if an artist is able to step up and say, hey, we'll take the risk for this because there's going to be, you know, something at the other side of it that that gets you that connection. Yeah. I mean, Matt started out, he did, he had a, a, um, a brick and mortar and it, it over COVID, it closed and he's working on getting oh. um, another one. So, you know, there, there, it's atypical of of the it's like a pseudo formal of the gallery model so hybrid or whatever yeah yeah and 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 again i I keep saying family but you know we all knew each other when we were doing the show circuit and everything and so he just sort of picks people he wanted to work with and thought that would make a great blend and it really has yeah so how long have you guys been together working this way um, showing so, your work this way so i think i was looking at my cv and it, it's since 2014 so we have like mm. a 10-year anniversary coming up Woohoo for us Woo-hoo, yeah you gotta plan something right <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, would you say that at these shows that you do the gallery model shows that the collector is different than what we experience in other venues like who comes to who comes to the show like that to see, you know, they seem to have more of a an international draw to them. Like like these are the best galleries from around the country, all coalescing in one you know venue, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that the the collector base or the people that come to the the gallery shows are because I think that in a lot of ways you get the same amount people that just are there as a pastime as you would in a show in, in a show circuit, or, you know, in an outdoor show. 
And then you get those people that have come to buy. The gallery shows are less accessible to, hey, let's, it's a really beautiful day. Let's take the kids out type of thing. Yeah. Not, and yeah. Th- th- not to say that those people aren't collectors. You can, they, you know, you never, you can never yeah. judge who's a collector and who's not. But right. so I, I think in that, that way, it's a, it's a little different. I think what's ultimately different is the price point in those shows, mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. dealing with things that are 50,000 to a $100,000, a lot of them. And, and, mm-hmm. and so you're getting people that are used I, I it's hard to even imagine paying that for something but that are used to sort of doing that and right. I that, think that's the place to go to find that kind of work where they mm-hmm. might not like right. for example sofa yeah. some galleries would have the have chihuly glass you know so it is a whole other echelon and, and also at these gallery shows there's also i think a lot of um I'm tr- I, I don't want to use the word that I use. <laughs> so, when, a lot of like shiny object, look at me. It's, you know, mm. it's it's mm-hmm. resin and and it's really, you know, not to say that it's meaningless, but yes. it's a lot of sort of uh, flash and not a lot of substance because it's gallery driven. It There's a lot more of that stuff rather than in like the indoor craft shows or in on um, uh, the art show circuit, it, there is a little bit more of a focus on making sure that this is, you're curating yeah. the, the show to make sure that the artist's work is, is, is not something that has come from overseas or is not something that ha- is, is mass produced, you know? And I think sure. yeah. not only the show curators, but also fellow artists, all sort of curate that and make sure that the the work is sort of real. It has this 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 feeling of of realness to it. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're talking in generalizations here, but I think that there's a lot of really lovely, intimate work at gallery shows. But then there's also mm-hmm. a lot of big statement work that sure. is sometimes it 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 it's very commercial and, and there's a place for that. And, and uh-huh. those gallery shows are a place for that kind of work. For the big commercial work. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Sometimes that, mm-hmm. that can be, that can be a place like somebody would want to, you know, do something for their office building or, you know, this big, huge, weird hexagon shaped thing, uh, you know, of, of resin or whatever. And, and that works really well in their lobby, you know? And so there is a, is a place for that. And I'm not diminishing its value so much as just to say that then in comparison, it's sort of harder to have quieter work that's more intimate and doesn't have that, that, that's like the big sort of I don't know if tension's the right word, but it's you have two different worlds sort of colliding in that gallery setting. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have you could have the big like the there's a lot of the Marilyn Monroe and the Audrey Hepburn stuff with, you know, photographs and then it's sure. taken and manipulated and things like that. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but then it's very different from something that's a little bit more personal. Like that flashy thing can be right right beside you and so then the quiet things are really (laughs) really go off the radar so that 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 would be I think a difference and I I I think in a lot of the the outdoor shows and the curated craft shows 
seems to me that they 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 tend to be a little bit more geared towards highlighting artists made handmade things Hmm. and whether there's a a, there's a one person or they might have you know some employees with them but it's it's a little bit more um the authenticity of the artist i was gonna say authentic right that this came from the human that's standing in that that booth and for the most part at the outdoor shows it's one artist one body of work per booth. Yeah. And the thing that's different when it's a more of a gallery setting is there can be, let's say, five, let's just pick a number, five artists that are represented in this gallery space. And so that person who is in charge of that space, the gallery owner, is going to highlight their work as if they would in their gallery. You know what I mean? Right. So like the work that needs more quiet attention like theater aesthetics, you know how to direct the eye so that this piece, which might be small and expressive, gets the equal kind of focal point as the big shiny thing that is, you know, two feet away from it because it's all being designed to move yeah. through space. And if, if if it happens within a gallery, then that's that then there is that balance. But when you're talking about a whole show. Sometimes that that balance gets thrown off a bit. I, I feel like it seems it seems mm-hmm. to me. I don't know. It is good to talk about the differences because when we're out on the street doing the the art fair art festivals, as much as we want our booth to look like a gallery setting, it does feel like a bunch of different stores, you know, under a tent, and it is a whole different look and feel when it's an indoor gallery setting. Yeah, um, and I think there's something that's wonderfully authentic about that in terms of the outdoor shows. So um, you mentioned you are a wife and and mother. How do you juggle? And you said the outdoor shows kind of were a challenge to to do that. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you feel like, you know, how how do you find that balance to be an artist who wants to share your voice, but then also having these other responsibilities, too? Yeah, I think it was really hard because I got pregnant when I quit my job that same month. um, I got pregnant. So it was sort of like, oh, great, I'm starting on this new path and I'm going to be a mom all the same time. So, you know, all All sorts of newness. Yes, all the tensions. And and but I have an amazing partner, Richard Cosby, who he's always gave me the space to try to go after what I was, what I was trying to learn. So that, that, that was amazing. I don't, I couldn't have done it if I didn't have somebody that would support what I was trying to do. And then when we moved, we ended up moving from New Jersey for his job to Atlanta area and all the houses we looked at, the first thing was, okay, it needs to have an unfinished basement because I'm taking that over. And that was like, that's right. That was the best thing because then oh. kids are taking a nap. I've got 30 minutes before something's due. You know, I, I can just, I can weave. You can integrate it it's all. It's all about, we- yes, it was, it was so great. It was, it, it, mm. it really worked out well. And I think at the same time, like when, when I was sort of, you know, I'd come back from a show dejected or whatever, <laughs> feeling mm. like, yeah. oh, that didn't work out or what 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 should I do? And and then you know the kids come and hug me and give me pictures. I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, this audience here missed me, right? The audience at home missed me, and they think the world of me. Exactly. It's perspective, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. for a while though, when I was doing outdoor shows, I would have, you know, you have that little like I always call it like the weeping corner, the corner you can go around and just like eat your sandwich or something like that. <laughs> and, and I would have just their pictures all over the back, you know? And oh, so, yeah. Oh. So, it was a nice That's like, okay. balance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, so I, th- I think about like for us being parents and being two artists, raising kids in that, in this hustle has been a very unique challenge not not unique to other artist parents out there, but it's, right. it's a unique yeah. challenge to most people out there. And it's just coming to me now. It's just dawning on me now that our, I'm an empty nester and the kids are the kids are all right. They're in their yeah. own places <laughs> and they're supporting themselves. And I forgot how I didn't realize how much they occupied my daily headspace, even if I'm working in the glass oh, studio. Oh my gosh, th- you are so right. It's like, so they, you think about the struggles they're having at school. You're thinking what? about the event they've got to do that night. You're thinking all this other stuff. And now that I don't have to think about every little nuance that's going on in their lives, we can really just as artists kind of live in our our world, live yeah. in the world that we want up in here. Yeah. That tells the story or fleshes out that story instead of like, okay, I've got a half an hour in the studio and I got to go crank this out real quick before I throw in their supper. (laughs) Right, exactly. And go to listen to like the principal lecture about whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just realizing that now because Dylan just, this is his first, uh, he's a freshman and my other son, Caden, is a junior. And so all of a sudden this year, you know, I was like, whoa, there's a lot more... Space. I mean, time still like yeah. flies by in some ways, but there's space to like figure out other things than just sort of reacting yeah. to what's going on because the kids are, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 lovely. It's an, and and I think that's why like we were talking before about uh, the people at my workshops. Like a lot of them are are women who are you know have their kids have grown up and so all of a sudden they have this this sort of creative outpouring and and this sense of wanting to remake themselves and to mm-hmm. pursue things that they haven't had a chance to pursue and it so it, that's exciting cuz they're so excited about it as well so tell me about that you 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 offer workshops you teach right yes. you teach workshops yes. mm-hmm. so talk about that so I um I teach workshops it's usually well it's 3 to 5 a year probably and okay. either weekend or they could be longer the ones that I do overseas are usually about 10 days because I mean you're overseas so of why would you only spend three days overseas? <laughs> and, and where is your next one going to be overseas? So my next one overseas is going to be in San Rafael, uh, France. And it's it's a lovely place because it's right on the Mediterranean, but it's it backs okay. up against the, the mountains. And so there's a sort of rocky, rugged aspect to it. And then this wonderful beachside aspect to it. But that area is so rich with storytelling and myth from, you know, that come from Turkey and, and all, Mm. all over from the Mediterranean in that area. And so it's, 
it's lovely to sort of tap into all of that storytelling and use it in the studio. Cool. I mean, it sounds like you're facilitating that nurturing environment that you got when you made your shift. And to create that safe space to have, not just make art. I mean, obviously it sounds like the art is the main component, but there's also like a sense of connection and bonding and should I say therapy? I know it's all, it's all a sense of like expressing something that's inside and saying, it's okay, tell me what you're feeling a- abs- or tell absolutely. me what you get from that. Yeah. And and the great yeah. thing about the overseas workshops is that you're, you know, you're going out and exploring and you don't speak the language most of the time. You don't, okay. you know, you're right. You're driving down the wrong way on the one way. And, and, you know, you get back into the studio and so all of this like usual stuff in your head of like, oh, I don't know, I can't do it. You're, you're exhausted by the fact that you didn't know what you were doing for the, the whole day. So just getting into the studio and working, there's like a freedom there. You so, you sort of, um, mm-hmm. there's things that can sort of stifle and limit us. I think when you're put into a setting that you're unfamiliar with, some of that starts to melt away. It can be much freer with with how you want to express yourself. As you are discovering things, like you're in an environment that's so different from what all of the participants have on a on a daily basis. Yeah. And so, so many times we all are so embarrassed or so like we, we feel bad that maybe we don't know something, you know, and, and it's yeah. hard to to be vulnerable and say, I don't really know what I'm doing here. But this is a is a place where you're all learning together and it's yes. and it's uh, and you're all making discoveries together and it's like it's all okay. It's like right. it's kind of part of the whole thing. It's a whole kind of bonding thing. Yeah. And we can you can laugh at each other and we're we're meeting at a winery and and one um participant they ended up going down a road and it ended up being they were driving through the golf course of <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. finally got to the you're like, well, we went via golf course. I don't know what happened. And you're just like, okay. All the overseas workshops have been ex- especially tight. And I think it's because of that, mm. that there's an extra level of bonding there, you know? Yeah. And there's so much to learn. And I, I think it also appeals to the person like you're talking about that has always put their family first, maybe. And that's like, now they get to think about the things that yes. get, give them inspiration. I think right. that's really exciting. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I let, you know, I, I, I um, now that I'm at, at sort of at the same point, I can, I can completely understand that the world sort of opens up again to you and you're like, okay, sure. I'm going for it. You know, (laughs) this much of time, like sort of in a way, you know, even if you're pursuing your dreams, you're sort of a little bit stifled a little bit. You know, you're you're having Mm -hmm. to balance other things. You're having to everything's a negotiation. And then at a certain Mm -hmm. point, it's like, oh, well, hell, (laughs) the chains are off now. I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) How many of these uh, overseas workshops have you done? Well, I started right before COVID and then COVID hit. So we had tried to manifest one for like three years in a row every time we thought COVID was like over. That's right. It's Remember? over now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> over. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so this, will, this will be my fourth one. And then wow. I'm planning oh, to that's... do a couple more next year in different areas. Yeah. And it's really nice to work in an area where you're learning 
you know, somebody has a facility there. So they there's that mm -hmm. extra level of support. So if you need something or have to work something out that it's uh, that structure is already there for you. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Mm -hmm. And then do you feel like, I mean, you're, you're facilitating this workshop, but then do you feel like on a creativity level that you're getting, your soul is getting fed by the experience as well. And it kind of it, oh, it goes, it feeds absolutely. back into your own artwork. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I have to say that when I'm teaching, I'm usually not thinking, like I'm always talking to, to everyone in the class about, okay, what's the story and what do you want to express? And then they, they turn to me and go, well, what's your story? And I'm like, well, I, I can't, I can't think that way when I'm teaching. I have, it, <laughs> I have no story. I'm out of story. But but it certainly comes back around not only in like how much inspiration I'm just getting, you know, in it, it, um, just feeling, but also like when I get back into the studio and how it weaves itself through the the other aspects of my work. Absolutely, and just being around a lot of creative people, you're always learning new ways of thinking yeah. and, and, and new ways of expressing things. And that's really fascinating. That's really, it's a special time. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really great. I, I just love that you've, you know, taken experiences over your career and, you know, you're, you're creating these situations with people that, that form connection and form uh, inspiration. I think too often we, we kind of sit in isolation as, as artists and we look outside of ourselves and, and we feel like, well, what's wrong? Why aren't why aren't we selling the way we want to sell? Or it looks like things are going better for that one over there. And and that's really being outside of our own power. And right, exactly. And I love that exactly. You yeah. follow your voice. You encourage others to find their voice and follow their voice as well. And I just find a lot of inspiration in that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think this whole journey to find to to strengthen my voice, find it and strengthen it is 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 my artistic journey. And I mean, I put a little dot on the lower lip of each of my figures and it's a symbol to remind me to be true to my voice. Because oh. the bottom line is whether it sells or not and, you know, whatever happens and it breaks or whatever, but is was is the story good? Is the story true? Is the story authentic? You know? That voice is the voice I keep trying to strengthen in my head. Right, that the value isn't given its weight from right. an external source. And especially when it comes to storytelling and the, and the need to, you know, focus on, listen to each other's stories. The, the fact that I, I'm able to create these stories and then talk to people about them and they can be moved or not moved by them, but that's an, an incredible blessing. And so... That's the work I want to do. And that's the kind of connections you want to build. Yeah. Because when, when you tell something from a very sacred place, somebody else can say that, well, I feel safe telling you something that's really important and sacred to me. And that's how true connections build and grow, as opposed to the the bragging kind of energy of saying my world is great and everything is great. Well, then I don't want to share with anybody that things aren't great with me. So right. you know what I mean, right. <laughs> keep that at a distance. Right. <laughs> it's so true. So true. Believe it or not, this has been an hour. So we've had a really good oh, talk. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> awesome. And so one of the things I wanted to say as we, as we uh, lead out here is I, um, 
uh, Will and I, when we would decide, you know, when we come across people we're interested in talking to, you know, we kind of banter back and forth uh, with each other about it and, you know, say, what would you ask? What would you ask? Whatever. I brought up your name. I said, hey, Will, um, have you ever heard of Kirsten Stingle? And he said, oh, yeah, she's badass. Totally talk to her. She's totally cool. So. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> I'm so God. glad this happened. I'm going to get that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, this has been so much fun. Thanks for cool taking the time it. and sharing about yourself and looking forward thank to everyone so hearing much. your story. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for allowing me um, this opportunity. It's been really great. And it's so nice talking to you. Now I don't want to end. Let's just go to round two. Let's <laughs> just keep on going. Well, okay. So now we know each other, you know, so, you know, we <laughs> we don't have to record all of our conversations. But <laughs> Exactly. Kirsten, this has been fun. Thanks so much. Okay, Thank take you. care. T- tell Will I said hi. I will. He's okay. a badass too. <laughs> <laughs> Great talk with Kirsten. Uh, that was another killer interview, Douglas. Nice job with that, and and thank you, Kirsten, for giving us your time and and your insight and uh, sharing your vision. So just just a just a good talk right there. It's interesting to know kind of the different mindset, different world between these gallery shows versus the road shows that we are typically used to. She's you know been in both, and she has a different take on them. So I really was interested in in hearing what she had to say about that and about being willing to pivot when things aren't going aren't going right. So yeah, it's tough to sell a certain kind of work at an art show. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them only like some of these best shows, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, best shows don't yeah. work for some people. You know, there are plenty of people that I know that don't go to some of the quote unquote top shows or super shows or whatever, mm-hmm. or even apply because they're like, you know what? I can do just as well at this show in my backyard here and sleep in my own bed on Sunday night. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to see what works for her and how she's taking her career. And to make those changes. When you kind of feel like something's not working for you or a square a round peg in a square hole and and you're like, why is it work for other people? It's not working for me. And right. something that happens nowadays with with being able to look over our shoulder and look online and look on social media, that can really like knock us off of our vision, knock us off of feeling good about what we want to make and put out there in the world. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, social media is a, a time suck and it makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. For example, like I hate, like I'm going to, I'm not that far away from Texas here yeah. in New Mexico. So mm-hmm. I don't have to leave two days in advance, but uh, going online and looking and seeing everybody saying leaving for Bayou on Monday, it gives me a freaking panic attack. I like, texted you yeah. and you're, I was like, when are you guys leaving? I'm like, I know better than to ask that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, we're going to leave on Monday. I'm like, I'm going to, be painting on monday and tuesday like i'm gonna throw something that's dry on wednesday morning into the truck before i hit the road yeah and we talked about those panic dreams where we're showing up late to the party or showing up late to you know late for school kind of thing and right that it's true it it was it creates undue uh anxiety doesn't it (laughs) it does it does it doesn't help me at all but and also you haven't seen me on there much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, either, I'll duck into way. Facebook and take a dump on Tom Hanks' performance and Elvis and then, like, jump back out and be like, okay. I just need everybody to know that I think he sucked. And then I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> you guys do with that what you will. Yeah. I needed to get my, my opinion out there on the ether. Yeah. Thought grenade. Here you go. And I'm done. 
Well, thanks for uh, making time to hammer out this talk, and I'm looking forward to seeing you face-to-face. Yeah, I think we're neighbors <laughs> at Bayou, so I'll we're see you soon, close. sir. Uh, thank you to the, the, the Bayou folks for giving me a good neighbor there, and um, we'll see you soon. They basically just did that so they knew that you'd have some kind of help, right? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> help me. Oh, oh, man. It's not been easy. I don't mean to complain, but it's not been easy. But I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll bring a rusty saw in case we need to saw that foot off. Okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. <laughs> we just do it. All right, buddy. Travel safe. Hey to Renee. All right. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, find us on social media and engage in these conversations. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. Oh, and if you like the show, we'd love it if you would give us your five-star rating and offer up your most creative review on your podcast streaming service. See you next time.